I don't know Tom. 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 Testing, testing, one, two. It's a dope chess board. I mean, if I had a chess board like that, I might love doing it too. What is that, marble? Like, what? Oh, we fancy up here. That's hilarious. No, that, that's dope, though. You cracking jokes already. All it's right, not even about the is. jokes. It's just I'm legitimately like, yo, this is a dope chessboard. But that bad boy is definitely marble. Let's be real. Yeah, my, <laughs> homie, uh, my homie came over, and he was looking, and he was like, yo, if you had kids, all of this nice stuff is gone. Bruh. And I think that's what I was looking at when I got over here. Like, the little setup is dope with the yeah. Thanos glove and stuff. And I'm like, all right, this is a nice little swaggy. But then I was like, wait a minute, is this marble? <laughs> Yes, it is Marvel. Okay, that's what we're doing. Yeah, man. Like, I knew I wanted a really nice chessboard, and it's on a lazy season, so it spins. Oh, you yeah, fancy. It spins, yeah. So I knew I wanted a nice chessboard. Oh, yeah, fancy. Yeah, that, that's fancy. That's fancy. That's dope. No, that's definitely fly. Oh, man, I appreciate it, man. Well, your, your whole house is nice, so I can't, like, it's You know what? I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Like, yeah, accept that compliment, because I appreciate the hospitality. You know, I, all day. Her. It was love, man. No, all day. Definitely all day. Because we host. That's what we do. Well, that's what I do. I've got my fiance into doing it now. Yeah. Because she's not, like, a big social person, but she's, like, I've grown to appreciate it. Yeah. And you, I was like, you know, like, you've curated a great group of friends, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. The outside looking in, like, you, I don't know how y'all, like, all found each other, but it seems like y'all, like, all cohere in a great way. It's an interesting story how we all found each other because, like, it was one of my mans I knew from uh, college. Um, he started inviting me to just hang out for happy hour on Fridays. Yeah. And it was already two other guys that were doing it. <clears throat> and it was, like, the four of us hanging. And we would hang together every single Friday at uh, Las Velas. Yeah, Las Velas. And we would go every single Friday. And we did that for like almost two years straight, where at least two of us would be there yeah. every single Friday, regardless of rain, sleet, snow. That's crazy. Um, I went to Urban League Gala and came late at one <laughs> okay. point, so I'm there in a suit. Like So like that was the way we started, and that started in like 2012. And then from there, we just kept branching out and building upon that with other people who were part of other groups. And so, like, we have what we call our family now. Okay. And so there's about maybe 20 of us in this group. Wow. And it's like it's became not just the guys in the group, but then the women yeah. who are attached to those guys. And now they've formed their own little cliques. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been dope just to build that group because I think um, being an outsider to, to Pittsburgh, it's it could be difficult to, to – um, to find your 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 circles yeah but especially if you're gonna stay here after college but once i found my circle it made living here a lot more yeah um palatable we'll say i, I definitely agree with that like one of the things i'm gonna stop this so i'm gonna take a second get over here oh man it's way too difficult all right, <laughs> go. all right but one of the things i was going to say is like when I came, like, when you invited me to the uh, St. Patrick's Day event, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with y'all. Yeah. But when I came in there, it just seemed like everybody, like, knew kind of, like, what their job was to keep the pun going. <laughs> like, it, it was like y'all all kind of, like, know who y'all are so much in a super organic way. Yeah. And usually, like, when I come up over to people's houses, it's like everybody is kind of playing the backdrop. 
and they know where they can go and they can't go. No. It seemed like everybody felt at home over there. Like, this is what we do. Because literally, this is what we do. So, yeah. like, that St. Patrick's Day party, I've been doing that for maybe about seven years now. Okay. Where, like, Damn. yeah. So, it's a thing where on St. Patrick's Day, they know that they come into the crib. Yeah. They know that I'm going to make punch. It's either going to be whiskey-based or it's going to be green or it's going to be both. <laughs> okay. And we're going to drink. And back in the day, we would actually then go to Carson and, and mm-hmm. hit the shops and stuff like that. You know, you get a little old, you don't want to hit Carson Street on St. Patrick's Day no more. <laughs> yeah. And so we're not doing that no more. Fair enough. But it's like, it's still for us to just gather. And like, so we'll do that for St. Patrick's Day. I usually will have folks over for either Memorial Day or Labor Day. Okay. Um, we we just host a lot of functions together because we like spending time around each other. So yeah, it is. And everybody knows at home. Like after you come to my house a couple times, you don't ask where stuff is. Just go. Right, just you know go. exactly where it is. You know exactly it's on limited and off limit. Um, there's not much that's off limit in my house. Okay. And so people just understand the vibe. You got a box full of every like game I've ever seen. I'm like. a big I'm a big kid, so <laughs> I had to. And like that's actually like a thing that we do. We play games. So. All yeah. right. Well, I, I know that we just kind of went straight into the dialogue, <laughs> and, and that's what we always do because I don't know how to stop talking. Um, but this is another episode of the I Don't Know Tom podcast, and I'm, again, privileged to have another special guest join me today, uh, the one and only Brandon Ballard. And, like, what I'll say before I'll, I'll let Brandon speak, um, because you know I like to talk, is that this brother is, like, one of the most refreshing people I've ever met in my life. You yeah, know? I appreciate like, that. Somebody that, like, for through everything that I think, you know, Uh, life can throw at you has always kept like this kind of warmth this like I'm here to serve I want to do better has one of the most interesting hobbies I've ever met wanting to be a referee I never (laughs) met somebody that wanted to do that and it's just always a breath of fresh air so he's somebody that welcomed me into his space uh, introduced me to a a bunch of great people and I've just been super appreciative and super educated brother uber professional um, somebody you want to meet. So it's a privilege to have him here today. Thank you so much for coming, man. Yeah, that was a hell of an intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to be mad I didn't give him a complimentary one. But hey, you know what? what they, they can hate all they want to be good. But no, I appreciate that. No, all, I appreciate all day. you, man. Um, so no, like, I, wow, like, how do I follow that? Like, that's a lot. But no, like, let's, I'll start with that last point, the, the hobby of refereeing. First off, yeah. the hobby, bro. Yeah, I'm this sorry. Is, it's a profession. Is, I'm this is a profession, and, I'm, and I'm serious about my, my craft. I understand. Um, but bad, no, like, um, getting into refereeing was interesting, to be completely honest. So um, I'm a from Detroit originally, came here to go to school, mm-hmm. went to Pitt, um, walked into the football team while at Pitt, and so played ball at the uh, Division One collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't play as much as I would like to, but in politics. Yeah. And so when I got out of it, I was like, all right, I want to stay connected to sports one way or another. But I knew I didn't want to coach. Mm-hmm. I watched what my coaches were doing and the time that they were spending and how much it was taken away from their families. And I was like, nah, that's not the, the look that I want to to do, even though I would have been really good at it. And I was like, all right, so I don't want to do that. I don't I have no any aspirations to go pro. Let me figure something out. So then I was playing in some flag leagues um, that was ran by a former teammate of mine. And mm-hmm. I was doing the adult leagues. And then at some point, I just got tired of that. So maybe about late 20s, I'm like, all right, I'm good here. I, I've done what I could do. I was frustrated with, like, quarterback play and things like that. And I <laughs> yeah. was like, you know what? I could be doing something else. And he was like, yo, B, would you be interested in reffing it? Like, you played it, so you understand the game a little bit better than a lot of people do. Um, yeah. And you're still in good shape. And I was like, all right, bet, let's go. And so I started reffing that. And, like, really found a passion for it. Because mm. it wasn't like he could pay me a lot of money. I was yeah. getting maybe, like, maybe $15, $20 an yeah. hour. 
But I was like, you know what? I like I would have been out here for free or paid to be out here before. Absolutely. But it's a way for me to stay connected, and I do know the game better because I played it. I understand how it works. I understand how people move. Um, and then a couple years after into doing that, another former teammate of mine had posted on Facebook that the PIA, which is the Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association, where all the high schools and PA are governed by, mm-hmm. were looking for officials. And I was like, all right, so I hit him up, like, yo, what, what is this about? Help me understand this. I'm like, I've been mm-hmm. doing this flag thing, but help me understand what it takes to do this. He yeah. was like, well, you got to take this test, and we'll put you through some mechanics training. And then I did that and loved it. Mm. And so I've been doing it now for at that level for eight years um, and absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I'd have gotten to its owner. Okay. Um, that would have definitely helped me move faster than where I am now. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't regret anything that happened up to this point, but – like, that's not a hobby. That's a thing that let me get to my goal, which is to wear stripes in the NFL. Mm. And dang, this education work. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff's done. Not that, not it's done. So. I'll go into consulting. <laughs> I'll figure out something else. I may go into real estate. Oh, but let man. me let me get to that level, man. I'm you out Education kiss my butt. Right, and this is right. someone who's <laughs> pursuing an EDD right now. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, if I have figured this out earlier, man, I would have gotten to trades all and right. just officiated. My, my thing, though, what I'm curious about, and – and I haven't even asked the first question that I usually ask, but what, I want, I'm so intrigued by this path you've taken is that if you started out as an athlete and you got into refing, what is it about refing, refing that keeps it as, like, fresh to you and as real to you and, like, feel, make, fills you with that same spirit of wanting to be involved that being a competitor did? Because you're not really competing against anyone as a ref. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's not about the competition at this point. And for me, um, sport – for me, wasn't always about the competition. And so for me, it was more about, all right, I'm still a part of a team. I still have, I'm still connected to the game. It helps me stay mentally sharp. Like when I when I got into college and started playing college ball and really understand how to read defenses, why plays are designed the way they are, how the world functions. And it was like this, like people don't really understand the nuance of football. Mm-hmm. It's really like a dance Absolutely. that you're playing against the defense. And it's like, all right, where are the holes? How can I exploit this? Well, how can I do this? As a ref, it's like, while wow, we're the team that's supposed to be the invisible team on the field, it's our job to make sure that people are staying within the lines and they're mm. not trying to paint outside the lines and do anything too colorful, mm. to give that analogy. Um, so for me, it's like, I got to stay mentally sharp. Yeah. And so while I'm officiating, I'm also watching the game. I'm understanding what's happening. I'm thinking as if I am the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, what would I be doing on this dial and distance? What is this other team's tendency to do? How are they going to attack it? And so then my job is, all right, if I know they're going to do X, I need to prepare to officiate X, Mm. but I need to know time, space, location. So the average person doesn't understand that if a team is is at third and 10 and they're on their opposite 30, they're probably going to pass. And they're probably going to go mid to deep. And Mm -hmm. so in my mind, I got to think, okay, what is the defense showing me? What is this? So it's just that mental game that I have to play with Mm. myself. The way that um, my head assigner for my college chapter, the way that he describes it, he says, you should be doing mental gymnastics for three hours to the point where when you leave the field, you have a headache mm. because you have to focus so hard. That's and crazy. that's the part of it that I think I get attracted to, just the mental aptitude it takes to do it, that people think, and, and I know a lot of people rag on referees and officials yeah. because you really don't understand what we're doing. I, and that's cool. 
I've learned a lot in these last three minutes. I'm sorry, but go <laughs> no, ahead. We're good. No, we're go good. Ahead. And so, like, I get that people rag on officials because of the calls that we make or the calls you feel like we should have made. Mm-hmm. But it's like I, I, I double dog dare somebody to try it. Yeah. And then if you try it, and then you still want to nag officials by all means, do you? Because you exactly. at least stepped foot and did it. Absolutely. But until you do it, shut up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Respectfully. All Respectfully. Right. But that's so wild to me, man. Because one of the first things you mentioned about you, you said we're the invisible team on the field but you also mentioned that like that's another family you talked about even coming to the the college and playing division one ball like you saw the team not so much as like you were a competitor obviously you got to be to get to that level but you saw it more as like a family and it seems like even with your friend group there's this idea of family so it's like these consistent themes of family uh-huh. seem super important to you it's incredibly important to me like i come from a very interesting family dynamic. And I think if you look at the black diaspora, we all come from very interesting family dynamics. Yeah. But one thing that's been dope about my family is like we are close in our own way and we do things in a way that makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. And so I've always tried to replicate that. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is, I mean, I do believe in astrological science and I'm a cancer, cancers are nurturers. Mm-hmm. Cancers like home, cancers like warmth. Mm-hmm. And so when you said what you said, I'm like, all right, that kind of fits me, that makes my personality. Yeah. But. <clears throat> Ultimately, it is about family. So, like, yeah, like, especially in football, you work with the same guys every week because mm-hmm. you got to build continuity with them. Yeah. And, like, those are your, your, your guys, your girls. Those are the people you got to work with. And mm-hmm. so you're protecting them on the field. Mm-hmm. So if a, a, a coach is chewing your partner out who's on the sideline with you, you want to go protect them a little bit. You can't yeah. physically do anything, but it's like, I'm going to have your back with a flag. I'm going to make Absolutely. sure that we do this thing. I'm going to make sure that we all get off the field safely. I'm going to make sure that you and your people are safe. And I've mm-hmm. developed some really good friendships through officiating, um, watching people have kids and seeing people mm-hmm. get married and all of those different things. So yeah, the idea of family is a, a thing that I've tried to build in everything I do. Yeah, It was a big part of the, the work that I did at, at CMU, mm-hmm. along you, to the point where like that first graduating class just hit and a lot of them talked to us and people asked them, what was this about? It was like, this was my family at CMU. And mm. I was like, that was the whole point. Yeah. How do I cultivate this so that you feel like you're not by yourself? How do you do this so you feel like you have a connection to something bigger than yourself? And, yeah, that's that's family's big on that. Wow. And, and, uh, and again, you know, if Bianca was here, she would say that I was trying to maybe force a point. But one of the things that's just resonating <laughs> with me is, like, along with you saying family, I think purpose is it's a combination of the thing that you enjoy the most mm-hmm. and something you're good at. And it sounds like the thing that you feel like you're good at is that mental strategy that goes along with being a ref as well. Right, because it's not just like the family component of having somebody's back. Mm-hmm. It's that inter chess game. Like even when you came in here, I mean, I appreciate you complimenting my chessboard. Right, but it speaks to like maybe that that piece of you that really values that that game within the game. It sounds like. I mean, that's. Uh, I can see why Bianca would say what she would say. <laughs> um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. No, it's not necessarily so, that you're wrong. I'm yeah. just digesting what you said. But I yeah. think there is a point to that, right? Yeah. So for me, because I see the game very differently mm-hmm. than most. Hence why my coach in college tried to get me into coaching because yeah. we would be in meeting rooms and I'll be correcting him like, nah, coach, that's not how that's run. It's, Absolutely. it's this, this, this. And then I was like, I would able to call out what the, the linemen were doing. And he was like, how do you know all of this? Mm-hmm. I was like, I just pay attention, dude. Like, Absolutely. I pick up things quickly. But for me, it is that it is a little bit of that. So like, but I also like officiating track where I don't got to think. Well, and so like yeah. it's a it's while part of my officiating career is about the mental gymnastics of it. It's about me staying sharp, staying connected to the sport, especially football. Like when I ref basketball, I'm just out there. Like okay. I'm not paying attention to sets. I'm not paying attention to plays. I'm mm-hmm. just working. And when I do track, I do track purely for fun. Mm-hmm. Like I, for the joy. Track is my mm-hmm. favorite sport, actually. Mm-hmm. Even though I played football, 
track was my favorite sport. Mm -hmm. So, like, next summer when the Olympics come on, during that two-week period where track and field, don't call yeah. me, don't text me, don't ask no questions. This is what I'm focused on. Absolutely. When the World Championships happens in a couple weeks, I'm going to be glued to the TV. <laughs> Fair That's kind of what I do. Um, but that's pure fun. Like, there's mm. nothing to really officiate there. It's like, yeah. there are some techniques and things, but it's it's not the same. But with football, it's all, like, let me think about... I was trying to explain to someone the other day, and I'll, I'll move on after this. No, that's fine. I was trying to explain to someone the other day the position that I work on the field. It was another official who works, we call short wing and deep wing. And so short wings are the guys that work the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. Deep wings are the guys that are in what's called the defensive backfield. So we're guarding and we're officiating passes and things like that. And they always joke that the deep officials don't do a lot of work because we only got to look at one person and we really don't have a lot of calls to make. Okay. And so there, it's like a big tease. And I was like, I was trying to explain to this dude who just moved up to college. I was like, all right, so here's what actually happens in the 30 seconds between a play ending and the next play starting. Mm. I said, I have to count the defense. If I'm on the offensive side of the line, I need to figure out if they're subbing or not. If they are subbing, I need to acknowledge that the sub happens, let my referee know the sub happens, and then come back, recount the defense, make sure I have to count with my other two partners across the field, signal to them that we have the same count. Once the count is in, down and distance goes to my head. All right, down and distance, what is the team's tendencies? What could they potentially come out in? Mm. When they break the huddle, I'm looking at what the offensive is doing and what the defense is doing. Is my, is my key, the person I'm supposed to be watching, is he being pressed or is in zone? If he's impressed, then I need to watch him from the start. If he's in zone, I can look around a little bit. If they are bunched, I got to pay attention to who comes out. If it's Then I'm looking at the defensive shell. Are they in a two-high shell or one-high shell? Because that tells me what coverage could potentially be coming in and if it's man or if it's zone. So then I'm looking at what could pick plays can happen, what all of these happen. I'm doing all mm. this in 30 seconds. Mm. And so, and after all the doing, I'm counting defense again to make sure we didn't miss anything. Then yeah. the play happens. Now I have to react the same way as if I was in the game. That's like, I, I mean, <clears throat> the audience can't see my face, but I was kind of like flabbergasted for the last 30 seconds listening to that because – I'm someone who just got good at Madden. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and the thing is, people hate playing me at Madden because, like, because of college, you can tell I, the can, defense. I can read defenses. Yeah, so I know like, the play I called is like, all right, you're in the cover three shell. This yeah, should be open. All right, exactly. Boom. And, like, that's the one thing, like, I spent months getting my ass whooped by my friends in this game, like, <laughs> because I didn't know, like, I, I like watching football, but I didn't know, like, I didn't play, so I didn't know the intricacies behind it. Right. So to somebody who played, like, they know what they're doing. And right. I didn't, I took that for granted. I'm like, it's a video game, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then once I sat and, like, really spent the time to, like, learn the game, I developed an understanding and an appreciation of the beauty of it. Like, mm -hmm. the science behind it, like, why it's important that, like you said, it's a dance. Somebody's coming out like, yeah, you have all of these <coughs> athletic players, but at the end of the day, you can only do so much within these bounds. Yeah. So, like, you're going to pick an option. I'm going to pick an option, just like in chess. Yeah. And we're going to see who prevails. But – the, the thing that I appreciate even about you breaking that, that down is that it seems like you're someone who's an educator and we most educators know that development is support and challenge. You yes. know, you have the support is the comfort, challenge is the, the things that make us be beyond who we are. And I yeah. think that what's crazy is that the support for you sounds like family. It's that community. It's yeah. like, so even for you to say like, I love ref and track, I love ref and basketball, I don't have to think as much, I'm not thinking about sets. That to me sounds like it's good because it feels like support. Yeah. But like reffing football seems like it's like the challenging piece because you got to think about the strategy behind the strategy because you know so much more. It's pushing you in that way. And I think when we talk, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but I think when we talked about this, you talked about reffing football. You talked about being in, you just, I think you just said it, being in NFL. Yeah. So it's like the, in some ways, the ultimate goal, or I shouldn't say the ultimate, but the most. Uh, front-facing goal of what you're looking for is that combination of support and challenge. It's 
that support of having that community, but also that challenge of knowing that that's the pinnacle of having to think at that level because players are moving so fast. Oh, the players at that level are ridiculously quick, and you have to react. And so, yeah. like, I yes, that the, that's because the goal, I don't think I do anything half-assed. Yeah. If I'm going to do it, my goal is going to be to do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. And so, for me, when I'm thinking of that, it's like, nah, I want to make sure – that I'm doing all the things I need to do in order to hit that goal. Yeah. And there are only 150 or so NFL mm. officials. Okay. And when you think about it, someone has to retire for a new spot to come open. Absolutely. But then there are dozens upon dozens of people who are on what's called watch list. Mm -hmm. And so you got to be on a watch list, and you may be on that watch list for four or five years before a spot open up. Mm. And then when the spot open up, you got to be ready. And you have to be doing the things you need to do to be ready. So like right I'm doing right now is positioning myself to do that. But yeah, it is like that support and challenge I think is actually a, a decent concept of it. And for me, the support is, is like that, that consistency, like when that six, seven, eight person team who's mm -hmm. on the field, who hopefully you don't know who we are because we didn't yeah. do anything to piss you off. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and we just made sure the game was regulated the way and the team that was supposed to win won. Yeah. Like that is that support. The challenge of it is like, how can I get great at this? Mm. How can I get how can I be my best? What are the things I need to work on? Um, is it my understanding of rules? Is it my, my mechanics? Is it just being able to move? And I've been able to move up the ranks relatively quickly. Um, and part of that is because I played. Um, but part of it is because I actually pay attention. Like yeah. I'm listening to the guys that are doing the NFL work because like the mm. guy that assigns my high school games is an NFL official now. Mm. And so I'm, I have conversations with him every now and then. Like, hey, B, what's going on at your level that – I can actually use because the rules are different, yeah. which most people don't know. The rules at Little League and high school and college mm -hmm. and the NFL, they're all different. Yeah. Um, there's slight nuances, but it's like understanding those things, understanding like, all right, what are the techniques I could be doing differently? Like I learned from a friend of mine who's a Big 12 official, um, a technique on just how to signal certain things to your partner mm -hmm. that makes it look like you know what you're doing on the field. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's really all coaches want to see is, do you actually look like you know what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. And if you don't, then that's when they can get on you. But if you yeah. come in sharp and you're confident, and it's also helped in building my confidence, if you yeah. come in sharp and you're confident, then no one's going to pick on you. No one's going to mess with you. That's – this is so fascinating to me, man, because – and I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but exactly what you're explaining is almost – given the circumstances of the program that you worked at or worked with at CMU, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Like the, the, the delineation, like having to deep dive into like who are the players, what are the stakes, what are the circumstances, what are the nuances between helping this student and this student? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to build a cohesive unit with scattered resources, with ever-changing dynamics, mm -hmm. and then utilizing that strategy to build what ultimately resulted in the family? Mm -hmm. it, it seems like you – like. Refereeing looks like the avenue for you to be yourself, but the skills are universal. Oh, that's the thing that people don't understand is yeah. all of these skills are transferable. Absolutely. And so, yeah, the work I did at Carnegie Mellon was was impactful because I was able to help a bunch of kids who were in very similar situations that I found myself in when I came here to go to Pitt in terms of being low income, single parent background, from an urban center. Um, mm -hmm. and not really knowing what the heck I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, not knowing where to go to help, not even knowing that help exists mm -hmm. because I, help didn't exist for me back at the crib. Um, and so, like, to be able to, like, and then the system of higher education is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's just put it in there. Absolutely. It, is, it, is, it makes no sense mm -hmm. just how bureaucratic it is and how nuanced it is just to get the simplest things done. Mm -hmm. And so imagine being 
one of the most gifted people in your area, at least academically, and you get thrusted into an area, into a school that is one of the most elected schools in the world, mm-hmm. and you're expected to understand everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Where to go to get help, where to go to get food, if you're having trouble with this, where to go, and how to do that without showing weakness, mm. without showing, um, without proving people right that you shouldn't be there, because mm. that is an assumption that some people may have. Mm-hmm. And so you walk around with this fear that is self-placed, but and not know where to go. So the whole program was designed to break that. Like, mm-hmm. nah, ask for help. Like, trust me, don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. Because um, my collegiate experience was not the brightest mm-hmm. academically. Um, and it had nothing to do with my aptitude and everything to do with everything else that was going on around me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to try to remove that barrier for so many of them. And, I mean, we did. That, that program is incredibly successful. It's still running even though I'm no longer there. Um, I'm still connected to a lot of those students, especially mm-hmm. the ones that just recently graduated. Um, but the whole goal was, like, how do we – how do you take this thing that seems complicated and make it simple? Mm. How would you do this so now that your natural gifts, talents, and your ability to teach and learn can actually show up? Yeah. And where that transfer to things like sports is the same thing. Absolutely. If you get to a point where you can just, I used to tell my therapist, um, when I officiate, tell I your float. therapist is a bar, but go ahead. I used to tell my therapist, it is <laughs> okay. a bar. I used to tell my therapist that officiating for me, when I'm on that field or I'm on that court, I'm floating. Like, I'm at ultimate peace, even though it's technically organized chaos that's happening in front of me, especially mm-hmm. in football. But I'm at peace because yeah. it's like, this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. So how can I create that passion for, how can I create that space for students at a place that feels like organized chaos? Mm. And so they can find their peace so they can just float through school. That's the, uh, not to get too philosophical <laughs> because you just brought me to this place, but when I look at the, the yin and the yang, I think that that's the pinnacle of what you're describing. It's organized peace. It's like that idea that, the, the goal is to be in har- harmony isn't one thing or the other. It's not all a state of like uh, comfort. It's mm-hmm. this idea that you're being challenged as much as you're being comforted. It's like that, that perfect immersion. And usually to get more than what we've ever had, we kind of have to lean into that challenge space. Yeah. But to sustain what we've never had, we kind of have to look for that comfort. Okay. We have to sustain that comfort. So it's like, how do you create that perfect dynamic for where you are and where you need to be? Easier said than done. Absolutely. But yeah, I think that there's some validity to that. Yeah, and like what I what I admire about everything that you're saying is that it, it just as you've put it, you it transcends its transferable skills. Yeah. It's not something that you've kind of looked at and said, even if I don't know if you've ever thought about it in all these different ways, but even if you've not consciously looked at it as that, you're still applying the skill sets of who you are and your most authentic self mm-hmm. to everything that you do. Yeah, and and that's a new discovery. <laughs> um, this is where therapy comes into play. Yeah. So for me, that's a new discovery of how to bring my authentic self to everything. Mm. Or the way that my therapist would say, show up as who you are and make people adjust to you. Absolutely. And so I had to learn how to do that. Yeah. And I didn't know that that was a thing until mm. I was 33. Mm. And so like learning how to do that in my mid to late thirties and now being able to comfortably like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. You hired me, you brought me into this space, accept me for who I am or I can just bounce. Yeah. Like that confidence to do that, bruh. Yeah. It it is refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wild. You say that because you said 33, I might've been 33, 34 for me, but like I, I got to a point where I felt like I was a more mature version of where I wanted to be. And I used to tell students, the lessons or the things that I'm trying to tell you, it took me 34 years to learn. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not as if I'm telling you like you got to do this right away, but it's the idea that like there may be some vol- like wisdom is like if I can give you something that I took forever to learn and you learned it earlier, I'm moving a generation ahead. So it's not putting the the onus on saying you got to get it right, mm-hmm. but it's saying like if you knew, I, I just want you to know this earlier than I knew it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and like I think that's powerful. And your 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 uh, response to your therapist gets at what is going to be my first question as we get like a half an hour in. <laughs> like, my first question, which is, who are you? Like, who is Brandon? That's if you a, were to answer that question, that is a big philosophical question. Who is Brandon? Yeah. If I had to answer that question, I think because you know, in education, they have us do these uh, um, these icebreakers where you have to do those kind of like name yourself in so many words and things Absolutely. like that. Um, so I would say that I am an educator. Okay. I am um, a lifelong learner. I am a sport enthusiast. I am um, ridiculously family oriented. Okay. Um, and like, if I was being silly, I would say I'm a chicken wing connoisseur, <laughs> um, okay. a, a purveyor of fine wines and spirits. Absolutely. Um, I had to make sure I had like a really top shelf tequila. For you, <laughs> and so. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. um, and if I like, if I'm being honest, I'm um, uh, someone who's caring, compassionate, and loyal. Like mm. those are the things that kind of make me who I am. Some to a fault um, at times, but yeah, it's that's a deep question because there's so many things, and um, I, I'm a very I've, I've found myself being very interesting in the spaces that I'm able to move in, mm-hmm. and like this this almost chameleon factor where I can be in a room with a bunch of neuroscientists and blend in mm-hmm. very well with them, and then be in a locker room with a bunch of jocks quote unquote Mm -hmm. and blend in there and then be in a room with a bunch of people who are in fraternities and sororities Mm -hmm. and blend in there Mm -hmm. or be in a space where my family that you met where we all come from various different passions and lives but it seems like it just gels yeah and so for me that's always been a skill set so when i think about who i am it's all of those things um i'm an athlete and always have been always will be in one way shape or form Mm -hmm. i'm someone that loves to learn um, I've gotten a bunch of nicknames off my passion for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my, my really close friends calls me um, Black Technology Man. <laughs> and he's called me that since that college. like the most generic superhero name. It, it, yeah, like, a, like you whack superhero, Black Technology Man. What do you do? You perform static on TV? He's like, what is this? Um, but like, it, like, so whenever he had a tech question, he would call me and ask me. Yeah. Um, like one of my a former supervisors nicknamed me Google okay. um, because he was like, if, if Mr. Brandon don't know, <laughs> then it, it don't exist. Fair so, enough. yeah, that's if I had to sum it up, it, which is not some. But, yeah, that's me. What do you. So with all of that being said, like, have you ever <clears throat> thought about like in all of the ways that you could have shown up? Like, I like to think that, you know, we are the summation of the data that we've made the most sense of. Like all of this data is inter entering us we're, we're coming into interaction with the world and mm-hmm. there's so many different versions of you that could have existed but you've landed on this like why do you think that is like where does where do all of these qualities that you value so much about yourself come from um damn that's a good question i'll answer the last part first yeah. where the qualities come from like my grandmother would tell you my mom did a really great job with me mm, okay um my, my mom passed when i was a kid mm. and so i was only able to gain that from her and she I was 10 but my grandmother would say your mother did an amazing job and I just didn't fuck it up mm. and so it comes from her my mom was the, the reason why I host things is because of her mm. um it's funny enough her birthday's next week so mm. I'll be doing some celebration for her 
Um, but the reason why I host so much is because of her. The reason why I got into sports is because of her. Mm. Um, the reason why I've had the ability to read since I was like two is because of her. Mm. Um, so like that passion for learning, that thirst for knowledge, that, that, that desire to want to be around people um, and to make sure that everyone around in my eco spirit is having a good time all comes from her. Mm. How I ended up here in this space where I am an educator but also an official who is doing things on the athletic board, I don't know. Like, I initially came to Pitt to be an engineer and realized that sitting behind a computer desk, once you actually learn what engineers do, yeah. it was like, I don't want to do that. Okay. Like, there's nothing fun about that. <laughs> okay. Like, there's nothing I want to do about sitting around the computer and drafting up things, especially because I want to do electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. Hell no. Nah. Right, and I figured that out relatively quickly, and then I pivoted and then pivoted to people. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I always wanted to work with people, specifically young people, but it was like, all right, so what does that do? I didn't want to teach. I didn't mm-hmm. think I wanted to be a teacher. And so I kind of like, it's my career has been a journey of trying to figure out exactly what that means to work with people, mm-hmm. specifically young people who look like me that come from backgrounds like mine, and how to make the most of that, right? And so I worked in nonprofits. I worked in leadership development organizations. I worked in K-12 organization, and now I'm in higher ed. And it's all been a journey trying to figure out what that is and why that is. Mm. Um, it's not like I had an example growing up. Like my dad's a plumber, my mom was a beautician, so we mm-hmm. come from trades. Mm-hmm. And so while I explore the trades, I love the trades, I have no problem with trades, I'm pro-union, all of those mm-hmm. things, it's like, all right, I don't know if I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that would be, in no shade to nobody who's in trades, I feel like that would have been a waste of my talent yeah. to not explore how I can use this big-ass brain of mine to be doing some of these things. Especially if it's not a manifestation of your uniqueness, right? Like, right. You, you, like, I, I, and it's like one of the things that I think about in everything that you're saying is that you mentioned that a function of you building these spaces of family or community or engagement is by virtue of like the lessons you've learned from your mom. Yeah. Like, what did you? I mean, I'm sorry to hear that she passed away at an early age, but what were what was it about like what you saw that resonated with you? Like, what did you see that was an example of that? My mom was the glue to my family, dude. Okay. And so like every single holiday or birthday we celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched kid parties turn into adult parties real quick and understood that concept of what that <laughs> yeah. means. Okay. Um, but I, I saw my mother, like, when she walked in the room, everyone else lit up. Mm. Um, my mom wasn't perfect, so I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Like, and that's part, part of the reason why she passed away so early is because of some mm-hmm. of the habits she had that weren't the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, when she walked in the room, people lit up. Um, to, the, to this day, if you mention my mom's name, people start smiling. Mm. And so it's like, all right, she had this this aura to her that was like, I'm going to do this. My mom was big on family. She was an only child. Um, and her thing was always about people. How can I, like, be around? And, like, mm-hmm. how can I quench what was going on? And you learn some things when you get older about the dynamics of your family. And I, I learned a lot of why she was doing that was the one to feel connection, the one to feel that love. And, and she did. Um, but, like, just watching her move the way she moved. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me especially now as an adult who's going through therapy to deal with some of the issues I've had from childhood, I have a different context of looking at Mm. my relationship with my mom, my relationship with my dad. Um, And it's like, thinking back, all right, it was 10 years, so I only got to see but so much. But in that 10 years, I got to see her go back to school to try to pursue Mm. a degree. Because when she passed, she was um, in an associate's program. And so she was trying to get her degree because while she was a beautician, she wanted to own her own shop, but she Mm. wanted to understand the finances behind it. Mm -hmm. So she was going back to school to understand the finances by it. Mm. And I was like, bet. So like watching that, um, 
my mother instilled that in me. And then I remember saying, the only reason I'm in Pittsburgh now, and I'll tell this real quick. So I remember I'm in high school and I'm a straight A student in high school. Um, and one of those pre-exams that you take, I scored really, really high. So I started getting recruited yeah. by every small liberal arts selective school in the country. Yeah. I didn't know shit about this. <laughs> okay. Because I was I would have been I am the first person to go the the, the school in my family, so I didn't know anything. And so I'm getting all these packets and people are like school of the minds in Colorado, Washington University in St. Louis. Places I know now that I shawty should have took my black ass to. <laughs> but like I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And so while I was being academically recruited by all these places, yeah. um, my dream school was Michigan. Mm. And I had a like because of a, a scholarship program that a judge in Detroit created. I had a full ride to Michigan coming out of middle school. Mm. All I had to do was keep my grades up and keep my attendance up, which, come on. Yeah. That, that was, what? That's all I got to do? Yeah. And a full ride to Michigan. It was my dream school. It was like a random thing, too. It was like, you don't get to pick which school you go to. They just say, you have a full ride to this state school. And, you ended up and I ended up with my dream school. Wow. And I was like, all right, so going into my senior year, I'm still getting all these applications, and I don't even know what the heck to do with them. And because Detroit public schools are just about as bad as people think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have. I'm just, <laughs> 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 all right, everyone gets everyone gets one eight mile joke. All right, I'm done. All no, right. you you good? Get it I'm out. Done. Come I on. got it out. You sure you good? Out. I got it out. Yo, I'm done. Are you good? Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you good? I'm bad. <laughs> so no, but like I didn't really have a guidance counselor who was telling me this. I finished mm-hmm. seventh in my class and didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm. So I knew I had the full ride to Michigan. All I had to do was apply. I applied. I got in. And I got an I got a, a offer from Pitt to apply, and the literal only reason I did it is because I didn't have to write an essay. <laughs> it was the laziest reason to do anything. And so I filled it. I filled out the front side, gave it to my counselor who didn't know me because yeah. she had just absorbed another three hundred kids that she didn't Man. know. Yeah. And so I gave it to her. She put my transcript on it and sent it. And Pitt came back and matched the offer I got from Michigan. Mm. And they gave me a study abroad scholarship that I never got a chance to use, but mm-hmm. whatever, I had it. Um, and so while I'm mulling over, all right, do I go to Michigan, do I go to Pitt? I somehow recalled a conversation my mother had with me when I was eight. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this happened. I think it, well, it was God. Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, nah. When I was eight, my mom said, not if you go to college, when you go to college, go out of state. Mm. And her thought pattern was, if we, me and my little sister, if we'd have went to school in the state, we'd have been stuck in Michigan. Mm. And so, I don't know, again, don't know how I recall this at 17. It's crazy. But something was like, nah, take the chance and go out of state. So I came to Pitt without ever visiting Pitt. <laughs> I didn't know what Pitt was. It, like, my ignorance, as a football person, yeah. and Tony Dorsett, Dan Marino, all these people who came, didn't yeah. know jack okay. about Pitt. My literal first time coming to Pittsburgh is when I came to register for classes. Mm. And so my first time in Pitt was July of 2002. Damn. And I came down for what they used to call Pitt Start. And I came down for Pitt Start, and literally you just come register for classes, you meet some of your classmates, you go home for a month, then you come back and move in. And that was my first time in Pittsburgh ever. First time seeing the campus, (laughs) first time anything. I just went, it was like blind, just, all right, I'm going to Pitt. My grandmother didn't understand it because she wanted me to stay close to home. Michigan, University of Michigan is like 45 minutes from Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad I didn't go because yeah. I probably would have been home. Absolutely. And if I had the same struggles I had at Pitt at Michigan, I wouldn't have made it. That's crazy. Because I would have ended up back at home. And so 
Like, even thinking about that. So, like, even me being here in Pittsburgh is because of my mom. That's fucking cr- I mean, I'm sorry if I... YouTube monetization at some point, I can't curse. <laughs> but, like, that's so wild to me because it goes back to what your grandmother said. You said, she said, your, your mother did a good job. Yeah. And, like, I don't know what she was speaking to directly, but for you to be able to pull that anecdote about what she told you, what she instructed you to do, yeah, and for that to have such an influential impact on your decision-making... And to cumulatively work to your benefit, yeah, it's powerful. It's like how can you not believe in God or the universe or whatever deity, like whatever, like you gotta believe in something bigger than something, yourself, exactly. Because there's no way that I recall a conversation that's almost ten years old Absolutely. that I had at at eight, yeah. But something said, "Go to do bed, that. And go it, do this and thing." It worked out for you, bro. Here's I'm gonna be very transparent. Here's yeah. how much that worked out for me. Mm-hmm. So after my sophomore year of college, I got kicked out because my grades were trash. Mm-hmm. Again, straight A student from high school, finished seventh of his class. Kicked out of college. Mm-hmm. Ish don't match. Yeah. But had I been home at Michigan and got kicked out, I wouldn't have fought. Because I just mm. I would have been right down the street. It's crazy. But because I was here and I had just walked onto the football team, so I had to be here for summers because if you don't know, Division One athletes really don't get breaks. Yeah. So I'm here for the summer doing lifts, but I'm technically not enrolled in school. Mm. because And I was taking classes, technically not enrolled in class. I was doing the... I don't even know what to call it, but I was, I was, <laughs> guerrilla warfare. It, I was faking the system, but I was like, I cannot go home. Mm. If I go home, I will not come back, and I'll be a failure. Yeah. And so I was so afraid to fail that I was like, I'm not going home. Like my grandmother didn't know I got kicked out of college until I had my master's. That's crazy, yo. <laughs> I resonate with that so much because you know I went to. Uh, my dream school was Penn State. That's what I used to always think that I was going to go to, but I ended up going to Slippery Rock. But I was fortunate to go to Slippery Rock because my first application that I sent in to Slippery Rock, I mm-hmm. got denied. And I remember getting that letter and crying. Mm. Like, because I, I, in my mind, at some point, I figured that, like, this was just the next step. College was just the next step. Right. And I remember thinking that I had a business card from a man that I got uh, or from a man that I met at a college fair at Soldiers and Sailors. I'll never forget it. Uh, Mr. Webb, college counselor, said... On a random Thursday, you're going with me to this college fair. I'm going around collecting. You know they give you the little bag. Yeah, so you, you collect all those info. Yeah, exactly, right? I stopped at the Slippery Rock booth. I didn't know anything about Slippery Rock. He's like, take my card if you need anything. I got that denial letter. I called him crying like, I didn't get accepted. What can I do? I'll take do whatever. He said, I'll give you a call back. He did whatever he had to do. He said, I'm going to give you a chance. And I leveraged that chance. So when you look at like how the universe or whatever it is, again, that you believe in sets you up. Yep. There's almost this poetry that you have to appreciate when you look back at how in some way all the cards fell the way that they need to. Like, I was going to ask you, one of the questions is, who are the people that came before you and what did they teach you? But it seems like your mom has had such a profound impact on your direction. Yeah. And your grandmom in some way solidifying that because she was able to say, I like, whatever she did, she did it right. Yeah. And so my grandmother, even to this day, my grandmother is 84. Mm-hmm. To this day, doesn't take credit for anything. Mm. My sister and I both went to school out of state. Mm-hmm. My sister lives in the DMV now. Okay. Um, my sister makes mid six figures, mm. doing incredibly well for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm about to be a doctor in two years. Absolutely. And so when my grandmother, like when we talk about that and we look at like our cousins and things like that and the direction that our lives could have gone on, she mm. still doesn't want to take credit for that. And mm. I was like, Grandma, like at least take credit for Mia. Like... <laughs> Me was four. Why do you think that is, though? Because my grandmother is one of the most humble people in the world. Mm. And my mom was her only child. Mm. 
And so I don't think she wants to take credit for what my mom was able to craft in such a short amount of time with us. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, and the way that she describes it is, I, I just followed the blueprint that she already laid out for me. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't do anything different. Um, I tried my best and she had already done the work. All I had to do was just make sure y'all stayed on the line y'all were mm-hmm. supposed to. And so I think that's part of it. It's her way of still staying connected to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I don't know. Like, cause it, mm. it slightly annoys me. Like, grandma, take credit. Like, yeah. you did your thing. You, yeah. This, this, it's not just because of this. You did your thing. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's because of that. Part of me, and and part of me wonders, like, and I didn't know. Obviously, I didn't know your mom. But I wonder, like, how much she knew ahead of time. Because, like, you have to wonder, like, what her ancestors are aware of. And like, I remember I was joking with a friend. And I might have told this uh, story in a different episode, but I said, you know, I was driving through a neighborhood once and I thought, you know, what if a bullet flew through this windshield and took me out? Like, would I be sad if I died right now? Would mm-hmm. I feel regret? What would I feel? And I cried a little bit thinking to myself, like, real joy that, like, people don't often get to figure out why they're here. Right. Before they left. And I wonder if your mom in, in some way knew that for you to be filled with such passion and for it to be for it to be rooted in the values that she gave you yeah it makes me wonder if she she knew you know what i mean and so, like that's why maybe your mom was prote- your grandmother was protective of her in some ways her legacy so that yeah. you know that she that that was what she wanted you to take as a part of her that's a great question and that's actually you know i think she might have mm-hmm. and so again Growing up from the black diaspora, you learn about stuff that yeah. you probably should have learned when you were a kid, when you're yes. an adult. Yes. So I learned as an adult that my mom wanted to run track mm-hmm. when she was in high school and was fast, mm-hmm. which explains my speed. And me and my sister both ran track. Mm-hmm. My sister ran track collegially. I played football collegially mm-hmm. and found out that she had a heart defect. Mm. And so she couldn't run. She couldn't get cleared. They were like, no, like you can't do this. Mm. Um, and so she ended up becoming a team manager for the track team and something else. My sister was a team manager for the basketball team when she was in high school. So my mm-hmm. sister followed a path that we didn't know existed. Mm. And so part of me thinks that she knew then that, all right, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna have. So my mom figured this out at 16, she passed away at 36. Yeah. So I think at 16, she realized, all right, I don't know how long I'm gonna have because this thing exists mm-hmm. and let me figure this out, right? Um, my mom always said that she wanted to have two kids, a boy, a girl, and then she was like, take this out. She had me, she had my sister, take this out. So she prophesized it. Like, I want a boy first, I want a girl, I want them to be this many years apart, preferably. It almost was perfect. And so, but my mom started to get sick when like she got pregnant with my little sister. Mm -hmm. Around the time that she got pregnant with my little sister is when she started to get sick. So she's like 32 at this point when she had my Mm -hmm. little sister. Um, Yeah, 32, about to be 33. And she started getting sick. My mom was on dialysis, her kidneys were failing. Um, like I said, there were some habits that she had that probably expedited this, but, um, I do realize at certain points she knew something was coming. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to pour as much because she used to have conversations with my grandmother that my grandmother told me about, all right, when I pass, don't let X, Y, and Z take the kids. And I was like, wow, why why would she say that? Like she was sick and my mom ended up passing away from a heart attack in her sleep. Yeah. And so it's like. So it was her heart that ended up killing her. Mm. And when I think about it, it was like, yo, maybe she knew. I don't know how much time I got. I need to do as much as I can in this short amount of time to make sure I prepare these two little people that I brought into this world. That's powerful as fuck, though, because it's not even that, like, it's one thing to know, but it's another thing to be successful. 
<laughs> that's, I love that. <laughs> that that's, that's real though. Like because like she did it. Like yeah, she did like, it. Like she in this in the time that you had, you know what I'm saying? That that's crazy to think about like like what a woman. Like she <laughs> did that shit cuz like yeah. like to to like I was just fortunate to figure out why I'm here. I couldn't imagine if there was a time limit on the execution of that purpose mm-hmm. that that the people that that there were people depending on me yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I, I told my mom all the time and I've definitely said this in a different podcast. My mom had me at 15 like she was I was pregnant at 15, had me at 16. I could not imagine 16. Bruh, I can't imagine having a kid now. <laughs> hey, like I said and, the I, same. and I am 39. <laughs> I and and I will be married in 2 weeks and <laughs> me and my wife will be trying in about 5 months. I'm not ready now. <laughs> hey yo, I said the same thing. And like when you think about the power of these women, like I don't know what it is. And and it, I can only believe in a higher something that 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 some authority that resonates beyond my understanding. Yeah, absolutely. That has this figured out because they've created these women, these people, the that are able to to do the things that you need for you to grow beyond that. And like that's, I I just can't help but like be blown away by that man. Like Dude. what an execution! Like that's. But man. so I this that's why therapy helped. Mm-hmm. I was able to learn and really appreciate that through therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, dude, you're right. Like, when I think about, like, where I could have been mm-hmm. and what that could have looked like, yeah, I got to give big props to my mom. And mm-hmm. she executed a plan in 10 years. Well, probably longer than that. Yeah. Um, but she executed it flawlessly, too. And, like, even, like, picking my father. Like, mm-hmm. she told me when I was a kid, the random conversation you remember when you get older. Yeah. She was like, I could have been had kids. Like, I pictured dad because I knew he would take care of y'all. Mm, like, he wasn't real. the greatest husband to her. Mm-hmm. And he's acknowledged that. And he's come to peace with some things about the way that he lived his life back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but my if I ever needed anything to this day, I can call my dad. Mm. Um, I don't. Yeah, but I can if I need to. I joke. I joke with my homie like because uh, he. I said I don't know what I said. I think I said something about people, black people driving Subarus are weird to me, and he brought up the fact that his dad drove one. And he was like, "Is my dad weird?" I'm like, "Your dad took care of you as a black man in the '80s. He's already a weirdo. <laughs> 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 like, there ain't no good black dads for the '80s. Oh. But no, like I, I'm super like I, I really understand and appreciate like black men especially during those times that are able to step up because for all of the the growth and the awareness and the 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 perspective that we feel like we have this information wasn't already readily available it wasn't and so the thing that got me change pivots the thing that got me to appreciate what my dad was able to do Mm -hmm. in spite of the things that he wasn't able to give me that i needed yeah was my therapist her dissertation was on black fathers in the 80s and 90s wow and what Right. <laughs> I find one black Ethiopian woman who understands what it means to be black because she's experienced that now that she's been in the States because hey, in Ethiopia, everyone's black. Everything so then it's different. Happens for a reason. And her dissertation just happens to be the thing I need to understand to build a bridge back to my dad. Like, the fuck? It's like, wild, how does that man. happen? You just gotta but appreciate what it. she got me to understand is she said, all right, black fathers in the United States during that time period served one of two addictions. They were either addicted to a substance or a thing or they were addicted to work. Mm. My dad was addicted to work. Mm. My dad worked at Chrysler, and he would do his shift at Chrysler. He'll get up at like three, which means he's probably working like that six to three shift. And then he'll come home, change clothes, and go plump, because my Mm. family is a family of plumbers. I told Mm -hmm. you I came from the trades. And 
so I didn't see my dad mm. when he lived with us. When he left the house, that still was his thing. So before I started playing sports, I would see him in the summers. I would spend time in the summers and work with him, but I didn't really see him. But then, um, but again, if I needed something, as long as I gave him time, I got it. Mm. Um, he probably would have did a terrible job of trying to raise us. <laughs> okay. Um, in fact, he didn't raise any of his kids in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think my little sister spent the most time actually under his roof. Okay. Um, but we all understand. I got a better understanding and appreciation as to why. Mm. Like, had I been under this roof, I still wouldn't have seen him because he was working like crazy. But he was working like crazy so that if we needed something, we had it. Absolutely. And my dad is not one who, who chases money. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, his, one of his big things is money comes, money goes, chase experiences. Mm. And so he doesn't chase money, but he was like, I got to make sure that I, I'm in a space where I'm comfortable, but if my kids need something, I can make it happen. That's real. So, like, for instance, he's paying for our honeymoon. And Jeez, so, please. and so, and we're going to Indonesia, dude. That's so, dope. like, that's an eight thousand dollar honeymoon. And he was just like, "Where y'all going?" I was like, mm, "Babe, where you go?" That's love. <laughs> and was like, man. and so he sent us the first floor to get the flights, and he's bringing the rest of the money down so we could pay for it. But I was like, so all we gotta do is take spending money because everything that's can be real. paid for. But he he's been looking forward to doing that for a long time. That's real. And so, like, is with all his flaws, he still did what he thought was best, and that's mm -hmm. what she got me to understand. That's in that time period. Most of them did what they thought that was best, and mm -hmm. they had one of those two afflictions. Yeah. And so while he wasn't a chase uh, addicted to a substance, he was definitely addicted to women, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he worked his ass off, too. Absolutely. And so while I didn't get the emotional support that I might have wanted, he didn't come to my games. Like, my dad didn't see me play football until I got to college. Yeah. And I had played since I was 10. Wow. Um, well, nine. And so he never saw me play because he never could. Yeah. And I had won championships in high school and all this stuff. But he, as soon as I got the pit, oh, he was coming to every day. <laughs> he would make that drive back when gas was still affordable. He'll make that drive. It just so happened he had a girlfriend who had family from yeah. here too, so it worked yeah. out. You figure it out. Yeah, he figured it out. <laughs> and so like, but I got to appreciate after the fact, like, all right, that's he did yeah. what he thought was best. This was the best, and he did it well. And, and it sounds like, in some regards, like. While your mom may have given you, like, the drive, the purpose, the perspective, and, and the passion, he, in some ways, may have given you that work ethic. Absolutely. Dude, like, my dad, like, I could appreciate that. Like, I, we called him today because we are sitting at this place getting some money to make sure we could pay for this wedding. Mm -hmm. And my fiance goes, is your dad truly not bringing anybody? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Let me, I was like, let me just call. And I uh -huh. call him. And he answers the phone, and I can hear him tinkering, which means he's working. Damn. And it's, what, it's Friday, and it's like maybe, that was like 11? Yeah. And I can hear him working on something, which means he's definitely doing some plumbing work. This man yeah. has been retired from Chrysler for almost 15 years, maybe yeah. longer. Well, no, 19 years, because he's retired on his 50th birthday. God damn. So he's been retired from work for 19 years, but hasn't stopped working a day in his life. That's and real. so, yeah, the work ethic, I definitely got from my dad. That's definitely real. got the work ethic from my dad. I get my night out tendencies from my mom um i get my passion from my mom my sense of family from my mom um but i'm a, a beautiful blend of both my parents now that's that dope. i can accept it I, I think that that's the beauty is once you can accept it right because i think in some ways it gives you that harmony that devoids you of that ridicule that you might have had as a youth whenever we're so judgmental and we think that everything should be perfect yeah when you when you grow up and you understand it's like oh i can see what you've given me even if I didn't understand it when I was young. Yeah, and I can appreciate what you did even though it's not exactly what I needed either. Absolutely. And that's what therapy really helped me to do is mm -hmm. figure out how to 
not be mad about mm-hmm. the ways things happened mm-hmm. that didn't feed me or give me the things I needed as a kid. Mm-hmm. And to do it in such a way where I'm not judging my grandmother for what she didn't do. Absolutely. Um, she was dealing with losing her only kid and ha- now having to raise her Absolutely. grandchildren when she Absolutely. thought she was done. Like, I respect that. Um, I can't chastise my dad for not showing up to certain things because he did what he thought was best and mm-hmm. it worked. Um, I couldn't no longer be mad at my mom for leaving because yeah. I had abandonment issues because of that. Yeah, and so, like, I, that was the thing. Like, you left. Like, no, nah, she mm-hmm. didn't leave. Cause she didn't want to go. Like, yeah. what kind of dumb shit is that? But <laughs> I mean, but you're but, also sensitive to what the person right, that thought exactly, that, right? Exactly, yeah. right. So, like, learning how to be okay with all those things and then learning how to be okay with me. Mm. Back to your one of your original points. Now I can show up in a space and just be myself always. And and you know, I really hope that whoever is listening to this understands that that is what these stories are meant to do. It's something that I've learned about my value of listening to stories like yourself and other mm-hmm. people is that when I have to kind of juxtapose like what you've been through against what I've been through, right? It's like I'm learning more about myself through that difference. I'm like, well, what would I have done in that situation? Having the empathy, understanding how life operates, understanding that there's so many different ways that kind of life hits us. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It just gives you, I, I think, a greater understanding and a greater perspective that you can lean on. So, I've I've always been appreciative of people being willing to treat share their stories, but I think even more so when it shows that even through tragedy, there's opportunity mm-hmm. once you accept who you are. I think that that's the ultimate goal and one of the most challenging. That last part is true. Yeah. It's not easy to accept who you are. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the beautiful things about working at CMU. CMU, I had a, a, a colleague say that it's the land of misfit toys. Mm-hmm. And she said it in a way that is like, these are beautiful people who are very unique mm-hmm. and can make them all strange or broken to other people. Mm-hmm. But they figured out who they are, and mm. they move through the world how they move. Absolutely. And they do it at a certain beat. Mm. And I know a lot. Of, I have a lot of friends that graduated from CMU, have gone on to do some beautiful things, because the work ethic that CMU forces you to learn mm-hmm. makes you incredibly successful when you leave. Mm-hmm. But I understood what she meant. It's like the land of misfit toys. So if an 18-year-old can come in who's a theater student but also is into computer science but also is like a, a world-class soccer player at the same time, like how yeah. do you do all three? Yeah. But – and then have this eccentric personality, and it's like, this is who I am. Take mm-hmm. it or leave it. It's like, yo, why can't I do that, too? As an Absolutely. Adult? And Absolutely. so, like, learning from them in my mid-30s was like, all right, I want to be like y'all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I say that all the time. Like, as much as I worked there, you know, I hope that I was able to give students perspective from experience, but I learned so much from them and their authenticity. Absolutely. And, and their willing to, willingness to kind of show up as their their unique selves. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's It was a beautiful thing, but, yeah. Absolutely. So transitioning. Sure. Uh, you, we skipped one question, but it's fine because I, I think that this is an appropriate transition. All right. What is it that you, what is something that brings you joy? Ooh. Um, man, what brings me joy? These are some deep questions. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that one. Um, <laughs> right now, what brings me joy is sleep. Let's be there real. There you go. That's fair. Um, but That's like, fair. There's no judgment there's there. There's definitely no judgment to that. Um, but what brings me joy? What brings me joy is knowing that I'm making the people around me proud. Mm. Um, what brings me joy is um, being in the presence of loved ones. Like mm-hmm. I, like I'll give an example. Like yesterday, and I'm 
probably still in trouble about this one. Oh man. So don't we had been don't. in the house. We had been in the house all week, and I was like, all right, I need to get out the house. I'm I'm an extrovert, and I was like, I need to get out the house. Been in the house all week. So I go and talk, go hang out with one of my uh, my best friends, well, actually one of the best men in my wedding. Okay. And so it's just me, him, and his son at the house at first, and then his wife comes home. And I got out of his house about 8 o'clock. I didn't leave his house to 5.30 in the morning. Because mm. we were just sitting up drinking and, and watching <laughs> videos and talking. And Is this going to be evidence at some point, bro? Like, I just want to make sure. No, we're good. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> no, because his wife knows and right, my, my fiance knows. <laughs> All right. But, like, as I'm walking to the car, she texts me and her response was, why aren't you home? Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> and so, but I was in such a joyful space that we literally lost track of time. Yeah. And like, look down at one point, I looked, the last time I remember looking at my watch, it was 1.30. I'm like, okay, that's Ooh. not bad. And I look back up, it's 4.50. I said, oh, I gotta go. we gotta go. Yeah. We gotta wrap this up. But like, I had so much fun. I'm paying for it today because I've been tired all day. I understand. But it's like, things like that. Like that's just so being real. in the presence of the people that I actually get, care about and care about mm -hmm. me. I'm always a joke. And, and I think that's probably why it was so well received is because probably people who know you recognize that they can see how you respond to those environments and they can recognize how you can get carried away in like the, the euphoria of just being around people that you love and that love you. Yeah. You and so like while I, I might be in a little bit of trouble, I think I cleared it up. I, but I, like, And I hope I did some service as to you clearing this up more. I mean, this isn't <laughs> going to come up for a while, but still, if your wife listens to it, she recognizes it was an authentic response. So Right. So it wasn't, no, but I told her and like, I apologize to her this morning, like my bad yeah. babe, like we just lost, we literally lost track of time. Um, but yeah, those things bring me joy. And like I told you before, officiating actually brings me yeah. joy. Like, I like the fact I can get paid for it, don't get it twisted. Yeah. But, like, when I'm on the field, mm -hmm. I am at peace. Well, it and, is joyful. And, and that transitions into my next question, which is, what is something you think you're good at? Is <laughs> it is it is it just a – like, is it, it strategy it, in officiating? It, like, what is it? If so you had to whittle it down, common I, denominator. Uh, What do I think I'm good at? Transcends all mm -hmm, of these mm -hmm. experiences. I think what I'm good at is – how can I describe this? The things that I think I'm really good at is being able to see a system and see how best it needs to tweak mm. and what needs to move and what needs to go and how to do that. I'm not a details person, mm -hmm. like not in the slightest. In fact, like I know I got to hire a program manager soon. Okay. I got to find someone who's a details person because okay. that is not my thing. Okay. Um, but being able to see a system and be like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Mm. Move this thing around. Why this thing is this do? And officiating is similar. It's mm -hmm. what makes it what makes it good there is just my ability to process things really quickly. Mm -hmm. Like it almost pisses my wife off a little bit. My fiance, well, wife, whatever. yeah, it there works. you go. So it's like two months out or a month out or whatever. It's not even that. It's two weeks from <laughs> Yo, tomorrow. Oh shit! Damn. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and so like it's yeah. it's coming. Yeah. But um, one thing that gets on her sometimes is because I process so fast mm -hmm. that I've processed something and she's still working it through. Mm. And then it frustrates me because then she works things through in a certain way. Yeah. And But it pisses her off because she was like, well, if you already processed it, why you ain't tell me? I was <laughs> like, because I wanted you to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> wow. But like, I think that's the thing that helps me. And it's one thing I'm incredibly good at that I had to acknowledge is that why I got those nicknames like Black Technology Man and Google mm -hmm. and why I'm being this athlete and can read mm -hmm. really dense papers relatively quickly because I process things fast. And and I think that that's fascinating because that's exactly what you need to do in football. Like, when, I don't know what position you played, but you talked about reading defenses. Usually that's like a middle linebacker, linebacker position where 
you're in that space and you have to like recognize like what the offense is bringing you, right? Like yeah. So like I actually played wide receiver. Okay. I'm um, sorry. No, you're fine. But I played defense in high school a little bit. But mm-hmm. what's interesting, what most people don't understand is that all positions on the field needs to understand how to process all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a perfect example, even as a wide receiver. Yeah. At Pitt, back in the day, we used to have um, this one route that you would stem in five yards, push up to ten, and then at the top of that route you had almost ten different options of what you could do. Mm-hmm. Now, you would game plan that down to three different options, mm-hmm. but you and the quarterback had to be on the same page because it's not like you can talk about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I get to the top of this stem, I'm going to do this. Regardless mm-hmm. of what the defense shows me, nah, you have to read the defense and hope that your quarterback read the same thing you read. Mm. And so it's like if you come out and you get to that stem and you see two safeties, then you better be posting it, yeah, splitting them. If you come out and see single high, then two safeties is cover two, I'm assuming. Cover two or cover four, okay. But either way, you can you run can in between them. them. Yeah. You can split them, and the ball's gonna be on a dart. You're gonna catch it. You might get hit. Mm-hmm. Catch it and go down, or catch the split and keep going. Mm-hmm. But you have to read that the same way he read it. Mm-hmm. So what a receiver would do at the line of scrimmage is I get to the line of scrimmage, I get to my position, I make sure I'm online, and then I look to see the guy who's defending me. Mm-hmm. Is he defending me head up? Is he shaded inside? Is he shaded outside? Is he impressed? And even if he's impressed, is he shaded inside, outside? And that lets me know cover one, cover three, cover two, cover four. And clock's and ticking. Clock's ticking. Again, clock's ticking. So I'm initially reading him, and then I look at him, and then I look at the safety configuration. Are they on the same level? Are they staggered? is one creeping mm-hmm. because they may show you a look at the start, but then as mm-hmm. you're getting closer to stop the ball, one safety may come up, one safety goes high. Now it's a cover three look. Yeah. And so now I need to know, all right, the route in my head said do this. this. But there's a check that says if this look happens, do this thing. Okay. So like against cover two, like against cover two, the hole in cover two is right on the sideline. And so if I read too high safety and my guy is shaded outside, but off the ball, it's cover two mm-hmm. because he wants to play what he says, ass to the grass sideline because yeah. he wants to force you inside because that's where his help is. Exactly. He doesn't want to let you go outside because that's where the dead spot is. That's so right. now it's like now because I know that I'm going to threaten you this way mm. so I can get into that hole and the quarterback should throw it right there in between that corner and that safety. And you're probably going to get about 20 yards unless that safety's slow and you can take <laughs> it to the crib. And so like exactly. even as a receiver, it's all about how fast you have to process. That's so true. even when you go back to thinking about the way that I told you how I have to process in between plays, yeah. I have to do that so much that I can do it like this now. It's, it's funny to me, though, that, like when you talk to a lot of athletes, like there's different responses you get when you ask them about the game. Mm-hmm. Like it could be their favorite highlights. It's about their ability. Like I used to do this or – it's about their dominance like uh, we was undefeated but for you like it almost the immediate thing that you reach out to is strategy bruh like that's so why, fascinating that's why me. my coach was like exactly. you would be an amazing exactly. coach exactly i could see this. it I, I could definitely see it and like i think it, i'll give credit to um james reynolds mm-hmm. who was my high school coach god rest his soul james reynolds and I'm saying it just like that because he yeah. would kill me if I said it any other okay. way, even though that's not what we called him. Okay. And I'm not going to disrespect him in that way. All right. This so is Coach, public, Coach, by the way. Coach James Reynolds okay. from uh, Martin Luther King High School. We didn't have playbooks, but we needed to know the play. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that I process things, 
instead of like a quarterback running to the sideline, getting the play and running it in, I had to run to the sideline, mm. get the play and run it in, and tell the quarterback what the play was, and then go line up. Like, that was my job. Like, there's a film of a game that we end up losing that's on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I'm just watching myself running back and forth. And I'm like, normally the quarterback is the one mm. running back and forth, but he trusted me because he knew I understood. the plays. Right, and he could say, I can tell this to you really quickly. You're going to get it and run it back in. What's, what's even more about that is not that you understood the plays, but that you, he – I think there's a level of trust that if something broke down because you – as you said, you went to school to be an engineer at first. Most engineers recognize that, like, it's like re, – re, uh, it's reacting to failure. Yeah. It's like, you know, so it's like accounting for if something breaks down, what happens? And I think that that's the other element of what you do – is that it's one thing to be able to understand something and to, and to know for yourself. Yeah. It's another thing to explain it and to be able to give that to somebody else. And that's exactly what coaching is, which is mm-hmm. why my coach thought I would be great at it because like, because of the way James Reynolds had us do things, I had to learn to play left or right. Okay. Like, I couldn't just learn what my position did. Okay. Like that, that's how you end up on the bench. Okay. If you only know what you did, then you messed up. Yeah. So I had to learn that if he called 51, then this route is a post – this tight end is going to stay in and block and then chip and release. The guards are going to do what's called a team block up in this. The running back is going to yeah. check and release this way. The tight end on this side is going to do this, and this person is doing this. I need to know that from left to right. That's so so when I got to college, um, our first, my first year was under Walt Harris. His playbook, one of the greatest offensive minds I've ever seen, not the greatest people person, but mm-hmm. great offensive mind, his plays were intricate as heck, and it was mm-hmm. a lot to learn. Coach Matt Cavanaugh, who is a Pitt great, who won the last national title that Pitt had, was my second offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I think he's now back in the NFL. We ran an NFL system. Mm. And the NFL system, it was a lot of shifts, a lot of movement. So it was like twins right, scat right to cloud bunch this, scat Z, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I learned left to right because that's how I learned in high school. Mm. So we'll be in, in our receiver's room, and coach would throw a play up on a board and was like, draw the diagram. And I would draw the diagram, but I also knew what the awesome line was supposed to be doing. Like, if we're doing a run play, I'm like, all right, these two are supposed to do what's called a team up to this level. This mm-hmm. one is going to scoop to this level. We have to go dig out the safety. The running back is one-on-one with the corner. And if he can't beat the corner, then shame on him because we've hit everything else. And so, like, doing that, like, I remember when my coach said that to me, like, yo, you should get into coaching. And that conversation, the philosophical conversation you have with a 21-year-old. So, I'm sitting there. I tore, broke my wrist in um, – the fall of my what would have been like my junior season and so going into my senior season i couldn't play spring ball because mm-hmm. i just had surgery so i'm in a soft cast and we also have playing catch which i probably should have been doing with a soft cast on but whatever it is what it is it is what it is and so we're talking and he was like yo brandon you your mind you have a mind for this you process things mm-hmm. he's like i've never seen anyone do what you do you should really think about going to coaching and my response to him at 21 was like i appreciate that coach but let me ask you a couple questions first and he was like, yeah, cool. I was like, uh, your daughter, right? She's 16. I was like, yeah, yeah. He was he confused with what the hell this was going mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, and y'all live out in TJ, right? So Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I was, he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, and she plays basketball and volleyball, and I heard she's really good, right? He was like, yeah. I was like, how many games have you gone to? Mm, I knew where that was going. Yeah, <laughs> and eventually he did too because yeah. he just started smiling. <laughs> and, and Coach Aubrey Hill, God rest his soul as well, yeah. um, he just started smiling. I was like, Coach, I appreciate that. I don't want that life. That's real, yeah. Because I, because my parents didn't come to my sporting events, I said yeah. I would never do that to my kids. That's real. I, I think that's such a, a beautiful symmetry of those things. Like Because I think it's funny, and, and one of the um, questions I have 
is you know what i'm gonna pause what i want to think because i i i it's i'm gonna get to it later so i know i'm gonna ask it anyway but okay. the, since i want to go in some, somewhat of an order that i've been consistent with is the next question i want to ask you is going to be a bit of a hard pivot what are you afraid of Ooh. if you'd have asked me this question about five years ago i would have told you failure okay but therapy helped me to understand that failure is a part of life so i gotta Absolutely. not fear that i think the thing i'm most fearful about is not living up to my own expectations mm -hmm. and not living up to um the abilities that have been set forth for me mm -hmm. so like if i like my thing is i my aspirations like let's use officiating my aspirations mm -hmm. are the nfl absolutely if i don't make it there i don't want it to be because i didn't do enough mm. i don't want it to be because i didn't try yeah. i don't want it to be because of something i didn't do it yeah. just didn't happen mm -hmm. and like i said there's a very finite number of positions mm -hmm. and you need people to retire for positions to open there are a bunch of people who are older in the league and people took them to retire after 10 15 years regardless of when they entered yeah. and so there are all these positions open but it's like all right if i don't make it to that level for whatever reason i don't want it to be because i didn't do something i see like that. that's i don't want to ever so i guess I, I fear regretting yeah it's like you don't want to leave any stone unturned exactly on your journey. and so like for me it's it's Anything I do, I want to do it to fidelity. I want to do it to, to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And if my ability, and the same thing I used to tell the kids at CMU, if you are you do your best and your best is a C, you did your best. Yeah. Like, you earned a C. Yeah. Now, if you didn't earn that C and you yeah. was being lazy and you could have did better, then, yeah, now I'm looking that's crazy. The, that, that's the truth of hard work. It's like when you recognize, like, there is no lie to yourself. I think Iverson said something about this. And when they were asking about practice, it was like, you, the, the game don't lie. Like yeah. you know like when you go out there that you either did enough or you didn't do enough and that's the thing it is i don't ever want to get to a point where something happens or doesn't happen and i feel like i didn't put in my all or i didn't give it everything i should have mm -hmm. but if something doesn't work and i did everything i was supposed to do then it wasn't supposed to work and i gotta be okay with that and mm -hmm. so that's the biggest thing for me right now um the second would be um i don't know if this is a fear so maybe it's not the best answer but just wanting to make my future marriage work mm -hmm. and i'm not fearful it's not going to work per se mm -hmm. but i have haven't seen healthy relationships Absolutely. in my in my life so i don't know what to do that's sometimes reasonable apprehension and right? so like, yeah. it's it's i don't know if that's a fear but it's something i'm definitely something paying to be attention cognizant to. Of. Very, Absolutely. very much so well yeah. and, and the question i was going to ask you before i stumbled through it um, <laughs> was the fact that like what is the uh, ultimate goal? Like, what is the ultimate manifestation of you? If you were to think of the final form, I don't know if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan. But I understand. Frieza's, yeah, I understand. Frieza's final form and all of that. Yeah, I get that. I like, what is the final form of you? And the only reason I stumbled over that is because when you started to talk about the synergy between strategy, your ability to use your wits, family, mm -hmm. sports, all of that, mm -hmm. I see how reffing is the final form. But I didn't want to box you into that. So it's like, so it's not really if you a box. were, yeah, wave your magic wand, perfect circumstances. What is that final form for you? Perfect circumstances would look like. That was Siri. Sorry. Yeah, Siri is on some junk right now. Yeah. <laughs> so if I had to think of like what my final form was, if I'm like you know final version of self. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to think of that, then it is being the. It'll look like me reffing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. It'll look like me. At that point in time, I'll be probably mid to late 40s at that point if I, mm -hmm. you know, am allowed to aspire to get there as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. So that means I am my my family is healthy and successful. Mm -hmm. uh, we're comfortable enough to do the things we want to do. Mm -hmm. At that point, I'm consulting. So for me, it's it's freedom is yeah. my final form. Okay. Because 
while people like you, we like in officiating, we have a thing. You don't do it for the money. Yeah. Because honestly, you're not being paid enough to do and deal with all the things that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. even at the NFL level. And the NFL officials make more money than most people think, mm-hmm. but it's not even comparable to what the players make. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you're not really doing it for the money because if you would, like, I mean, think about um, Justin Herbert's new contract. Yeah. $137 million guaranteed. Yep. Like, I wish I could sniff $137 million, <laughs> let alone have it guaranteed in my bank account. Literally, spraining an ankle and be good for life. Right. And so, like, when yeah. thinking about that and thinking about what an official makes in a year, it's like, it's not the same. It's good money. I don't want to get it twisted, but it's not the same. So, I wouldn't do it. Um, I wouldn't want to get to that level because I'm trying to get rich because you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does level allow, allows me to do the thing I love um, and, and, and do it passionately. In fact, I actually have another answer to that question, and I'm mm-hmm. going to get back to that in a second. That's right. Um, but it's a level of comfort. Where I was going to pivot back to, and this, I'm reminded of this because one of my mentors, who is the executive director of my fraternity now, mm-hmm. and so what made me think about that is the conference is happening right now because we're electing a new general president, mm. um, and so he's down in Texas. He used to say to me when I worked for him, he was my supervisor in my second job, and I met him as I was pledging. Mm-hmm. And what he said to me at that time, well, not pledging, because pledging and hazing is something that we don't do. There we go. Um, but as I was going through my aspirant, um, what he said to me when I was working with him, um, he said, find something that if someone called you at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, let's go do this, you would hop out of bed and do it for free. That's real. And find a way to get paid for it. Mm. And so I that's like what that. my final form is. There he is. I'm able to do the things that I would do for free. Yeah. And I found a way to get paid for it, and I have the freedom to do it whenever I feel like it. And that, for me, is officiating. It is. I agree. It's so dope. I I think that great – they say great minds think alike, right? I think it's just that in a lot of ways we all arrive at similar answers. And what I will say, not to pat myself as having a great mind, but it's the idea that I I think it's exactly that. Like when I think about purpose, it's this that – or it's this concept of like – being able to ultimately do like the thing you were meant here to do and the world rewards you for it and in yeah. the world reward excuse me rewarding you for it is that payment is that ability for you to take care of yourself take yeah. care of your family yada 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 but like when you feel like you're doing that in an authentic way yeah that's when you feel like i think you're at your best self and and for me it is officiating mm-hmm. and so like i said i wish i'd have figured this out sooner but you figure things out in your path and you figure them out absolutely but like when i got into officiating and like I would talk to him about it and tell him about my journeys and things like that. And he was like, all right, you found that thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, like I was doing this basically for free at one point. Yeah. And now I found a way that it's, supp- it's, supp- it's like true supplemental income. Mm-hmm. Um, I make it to the next level, it's- Income. Income. Here you go. I make it to the next level. Even if I make it to just the level above where I'm at right now, yeah. it's, it's income. And, and, I, and, and But it's still something I would do for free. Exactly. Well, my final question, because I, you've been super transparent, and I've appreciated everything you shared, and sure. I hope you found some joy in this experience as well. Oh, but my absolutely. final question is, my final question is, if you were to uh, think about the fact that I asked you in the beginning of this podcast, who were you? Mm-hmm. If you were to answer that question again, who are you? What would you say now? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting way to to book in <laughs> the podcast. Um, <laughs> wow, that's that's funny. Um, I don't think the answer's changed. Okay. I think it is, um, I am still all of those things, the, the nerd, the jock, the purveyor mm. of good food and wine and spirits. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I think what, if I wanted to like sum it up a little bit differently, is someone who seeks freedom. Mm. 
and I've always sought freedom. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was seeking freedom, mm-hmm. but I'm seeking freedom. Yeah. Um, and my therapist helped me understand that as well because it's like when I started dating and then eventually found my, my future wife, the way that I went about dating was a way of I wanted to be free. Free. And she was like, you have this thing where you just want freedom. You want freedom to be yourself. You want freedom at work to show up. You want freedom in your life. And you want your relationships to be free. You want this to be mm-hmm. free. You want that to be free. You just want freedom. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like I want to be able to move how I feel like I should be able to move mm-hmm. without the restrictions of what the world tells me to do, without the restrictions of what man or woman tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Like, without all of that, like I need to feel free to do me. Mm. Um, and so I've built those freedoms into my relationships. I've built those freedoms into the way I work. I built those freedoms into even the way I do things now at the University of Pittsburgh. Like, I'm free to a certain extent to do what makes sense. Mm. And my supervisor gives me that freedom to make decisions that's like, all right, you made a decision. Here's potential ramifications of said decision. Mm-hmm. But you, still free. you're free to make the decision. And if it doesn't work the way it's supposed to, we'll figure it out on the back end. But I need you to express your freedom and move. Mm. And so for me, that's been the biggest thing is like, how can I continue to be free? And so, yeah. I think, I think that's dope as hell because I, I think that that's the epitome of that, right? Like everything you're talking about, that, that concept of freedom, it, it sounds good. Everybody, I think, will want to be free, but real freedom doesn't, I think, exist until you understand who you are because then you know what freedom looks like. Yeah, it doesn't you exist know? until you figure out who you are, and it doesn't exist until you put it to work in and get it. Yeah, and yeah. so freedom doesn't mean free to do nothing. Yeah. Like, don't do that stupid shit. <laughs> like, that's not what freedom is. It's like freedom is work because yeah. you have to work to a certain point to feel free. Yeah. But then when you're free from your own insecurities, you're free from your own shortcomings, you're free Absolutely. from not showing up the way you think you need to show up and you're just free to be you like it changes how you present yourself to the world it's how you present yourself to your family how your friends see you it's a big thing like and i know a lot of people who think they are free but really aren't mm-hmm. and it's showing up in ways it's like nah you faking the funk fam. and so like yeah like it's it's not void of work you have to do the work to get the freedom that you want and it for me freedom doesn't necessarily equal money i i agree with that i agree with that well that's the end of all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. What I, usually, what I offer to the guests, because you've been so transparent, is is there anything you want to ask me? Oh, okay. I get the pivot? Let's yeah, go. absolutely. Okay. Fair is fair. So, fair is fair. All right. So, let me ask you this question, because mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's powerful. Do you see this thing that you just, you're creating? Is this your purpose? Yeah. I think that this is the first step. And it's the first logical step in my purpose. Okay. Um, I think it's the first tangible step, and, and it's the, the first step that I'm able to take. I think the ultimate manifestation of what I'm meant to do is to have some form of a talk show or some form of a platform where everyone feels like they're welcome. Okay. Um, how that's managed, I'll leave it up to Bianca because I told her she'd be my manager. <laughs> so like, great, great choice. There you go. Great choice. Right? But, but ultimately, it would be a platform where we invite as many people that come from any walk of life to talk about who they are, to share their story, Mm -hmm. to find affirmation and value in their story and to ultimately realize that there is a special and unique reason that every single person is here. Right. You know, that's my philosophy. That's something I stick by. And I feel like understanding that and appreciating that is what allows me to appreciate story. And then also what I get in return is that I grow from it. I mentioned it is that, we only the only way to grow is from difference. So the more experiences, the more stories I listen to, the more things that I'm willing to well, that I have to force myself to enter into 
without judgment, without preconceived notion and, and with full understanding. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately after doing all of that, comprehend it and understand it for myself, I grow. And I've seen Got myself it. grow from that multiple times over. And so the more Got I it. do that, the more I grow. And hopefully the more I do this, the people that come on here grow. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I do see this as a function of what I'm meant to do. So I think that's dope because um, people need to hear other people's stories to make shit normal. Absolutely. Um, if we start normalizing certain things, then it doesn't feel abnormal when you go through it. It's like, oh, I know someone else that went through it. Even Absolutely. if you don't know that person, I heard someone else go with, through what I'm going through right now and they were Absolutely. able to get on the other side. That's the things I was trying to um, instill. So no, that's the only question I got, bro, because right. I think this is dope. I think the concept is dope. Shout out Doc. I know we've been shouting <laughs> out to you the whole time while we've been talking. Absolutely. Um, but like, I, I'm appreciative of the platform that you're creating because I think this space is needed for people to just talk about things. And like, yeah. you learn something about your friends that you didn't know. Absolutely, I've learned and, so much about you, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so and like, like, I man. appreciate the opportunity to just share, um, but it's also helped me to just think about some of the, the life journey I've gone on recently. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, my, my journey of therapy and healing has been, it's been five years. I'm not currently seeing my therapist because life is happening. It just mm -hmm. wasn't work. But I need to shoot, a, uh, shoot her email um, just thanking her um, in the next couple of weeks or so. But, like, in my journey of healing and getting to a point, like, me being comfortable enough to share all of those different intricacies Absolutely. is important. So the more I do it, the more I'm like, okay, I, I can see my growth. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the opportunity to even do that. Hey, man. Well, I'm I'm super appreciative. You still get final, final director's cut over what we put out, <laughs> so you don't got to worry about it, you know, because you did share a lot, and, I, and and while I think that people could potentially learn from it, yeah, I'm, I'm uber protective of the people that come in here because I understand the vulnerability of storytelling, but I, right. I appreciate you taking the time, and so I was and just, thank I'll, you so much, man. Absolutely. So the final thing I will say is, no, nah, don't cut nothing. All right. Um, so okay. I'm there someone... We got that on the record. You can have it on <laughs> the record, sign, still delivered. No, right, so right. I'm someone, and this this is the way I do my work. I am fully transparent with everyone. There like at CMU, I will keep my transcripts from undergrad in my drawer so I mm -hmm. can show them like, yo, I struggled. Mm -hmm. That's, you, you will be okay. Yeah. Like whenever they would cry about having to take out loans, I would like type in, go to myfed.com and show them my loans and be like, this is how much I owe the federal government. They was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, <laughs> shut up. Good. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be all right. Like, I'm stop good. crying. Take out the $5,000 so you can go get some health insurance. Absolutely. You'll be okay. So I have no problem sharing because I would have did this in front of a 1,000 people. Mm. Like, this is my story. This is who I am. I'm not hiding none of this stuff. Yeah. And if you want to know, like, if people want to know, they can ask. And I'll finally tell them, yeah, like, this stuff happened. Yeah, this thing happened. Yeah, I got yeah. kicked out of school. Yeah, this thing happened. Yeah. So what? Yeah. I lived a life. Yes. I'm 39, dude. Like, I live the life. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I, I'm, I'm fully appreciative of so, that. So, no, nah, I appreciate this. And so, no, nah, you can keep whatever you need to keep, bro. Hey, man. Well, thank you so much. I'll still give you final approval, but thank you so much for finding the time. And we'll close it out with that. Clap it up, man. Thank you so much. Oh, man. What a good pod. Yeah, yeah no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> this was fun. That was fun. Yes. No, I think, I, first off, I think the setup is dope.